So, Clay, thank you for uh, a wonderful worship song for us as we get ready to spend our time in God's Word this morning. Uh, we want to make sure that we get our hearts right before Him. That we ask God to, to open our, our eyes, open our mind to what He wants to show us today. Because it is so important for us to enter into our time of worship together with Him in mind. You know, there's a whole lot of other things going on right now. The world is crazy, and not only that, there's so many distractions in here as well that, that we could very easily miss our opportunity to worship God and hear from Him today. But let's just center our minds, center our thoughts, our worship toward Him now as we get ready to partake of His Word. Turn with me to John chapter 2, the Gospel of John. This morning we get to start chapter 2. Now we have been, we went through chapter 1 and our plan is to get all the way through the Gospel of John as we study through it, preach and teach through it. We want to hear from God what He has to say in this Gospel, the story, the, the written account of Jesus' life here on earth. So in the previous chapter, we, we talked about how Jesus is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He is the Word of God, and He was in the beginning with God. We go on through the Scriptures, and then last week, we, He was calling some disciples, and as, as He did that, He was speaking to Nathaniel, and Nathaniel proclaimed Him the Messiah because He told Nathaniel where He was, what He was doing before He, he uh, got up and came to where Jesus was. And he told Nathanael this in verse 50 of, of chapter 1, You will see greater things than these. He says, Because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And that begins this morning as we start in chapter 2. The week, what, what the disciples get in this story is a glimpse of Jesus' glory. A glimpse of glory. So we're going to read this morning through verse 12, chapter 2, verse 1 through 12, and we're going to see a glimpse of the glory of the King. On the third day, there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Now both Jesus and His disciples were invited to the wedding, and when they ran out of wine, the mother of Jesus said to Him, they have no wine. Jesus said to her, Woman, what does your concern have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, Whatever he says to you, do it. Now there were set there six water pots of stone, according to the manner of purification of the Jews, containing twenty or thirty gallons apiece. Jesus said to them, Fill the water pots with water, and they filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, Draw some out now, and take it to the master of the feast. And they took it. When the master of the feast had tasted the water that was made wine, and did not know where it came from, but the servants who had drawn the water knew, the master of the feast called the bridegroom, and he said to him, Every man at the beginning sets out the good wine. And when the guests have well drunk, then the inferior, 
You have kept the good wine until now. This beginning of signs Jesus did in Cana of Galilee and manifested His glory, and His disciples believed in Him. After this, He went down to Capernaum. He, His mother, His brothers, and His disciples, and they did not stay there many days. This morning, we're going to look at this episode in the life of Jesus at the wedding of Cana, and we're going to get a glimpse of His glory. Let's pray together this morning. Father, you have blessed us richly this week with life, with love, with family and friends. And this morning, again, Father, you have blessed us, enabling us to come to your house and worship you. Father, thank you for loving us. Thank you for providing so well for us. And Lord, as we, this morning, open up your word, may we see you. That's our purpose this morning. We want to see you in all of your glory. We want to know you as Savior and Lord. We want to worship you as King of kings and Lord of lords. We want to be pleasing in your sight as faithful servants. So, Father, this morning, not only do we welcome you into our midst, we pray that everything we do will be according to your will so that we will be obedient in all things. Thank you, God. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. So, the disciples and all those that were there at the wedding of Canaan saw a glimpse of Jesus' glory. So as we look at the, the story this morning, as we get this account, we're going to look at three things that I believe come out of this that will help us to understand what God desires of us, what He wants to show us today. So it begins in the first five verses, you see, what happens is they are invited to a wedding, and, and Jesus' mother is there, and Jesus and His disciples were also invited, so this, this kind of lends to the probability that it was family of some kind uh, akin to Mary and Jesus. Now, we don't know that for sure, but, but that was prob a probability because Mary it didn't say that she was invited. It says she was there. She was probably helping make preparations. You know how family helps out at times like that? Uh, she probably was part of the family, and it was just assumed that she would go in and help out, and, and she did. And having Jesus and his disciples at that time invited to come most likely means that they were family. Don't know that, and that's not a crucial part of the story, but that might be why they were there. But now, when, when the time came for Mary may have been in charge of some parts of the wedding or whatever, but she realized that the wine had become, the wine pots or the jugs or whatever they were drinking out of, there was none left. And for a, a hostess to run out of stuff, uh, we even today, we don't like to do that. Whenever we have fellowships and things like that, we, we look at the people coming in and we look at our food and we kind of gauge, you know, how, are we going to have plenty or are we going to have enough? We, we look around to see, to make sure that we're not embarrassed if something runs out. So Mary, when she realized that there was no more wine, she went to Jesus. Now this is important. She made a request for help. She couldn't do anything about it. 
but she knew who could. So she requested help of Jesus. Listen to what she said. She says, they have no wine. Now, she didn't go to the, to the master of ceremonies, the, the master of the feast. She didn't go to the bride or the groom. She didn't go to anybody other than Jesus. She went right to him, and she says, we're out of wine. Now, understanding that she knew that Jesus was the Son of God, because at, at the announcement of his birth, whenever the angel came to Mary and told her she was going to become pregnant with the seed of God, that she was going to uh, have an immaculate conception and bear forth a son of God, the Son of God, she realized and knew that he was going to be the Son of God. All his life leading up to this point, she knew who he was. And she goes to him asking for help. Had he done a miracle before? Most likely not. Because Jesus spent his whole life in submission to the will of God never sinning, never getting outside of what God wanted him to do. So most likely, no miracles. And yet, Mary knew she could come to Jesus. Not only did she ask him to help, she expected him to help. And he refers to her and he says, Woman, what does that, your concern have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. But then she said this, she, she politely turned from him and told the servants, just do whatever he says to do. And she leaves it there. Now, y'all probably have been there before. You know what I'm saying? Okay, uh, Bridget tells me sometimes, okay, uh, what about the garbage? You know, it's starting to pile up in there. I was like, okay, I'll get it. And then she'll say, really? I mean, you're still sitting there. The expectation in letting, letting somebody know that there's something to do is that they will do that something, right? So Mary, in the same fashion, she brought it to Jesus' attention so that he would do something about it. And whenever he replied to her, she, she didn't press the issue with him, but she just turned to the servants and says, yeah, whatever he says, do it. So, she didn't have a problem with going to Jesus for help. I believe in my heart that God was, was leading her to go to Jesus in this account. Now, the hardest thing in the world for us to do sometimes is ask for help. I'm a man. That's where I live. I don't want to ask for help, okay? Unless I absolutely have to have it. Bridget gets on to me all the time about doing stuff by myself, that I shouldn't be doing by myself. But we just, we don't want to be dependent on anybody else. We, we want to be able to take care of it of our, ourselves. One of the worst things in the world for us is our pride. Because our pride will lead us down a road to where we could possibly hurt ourselves if we don't ask for help. That's what Bridget tells me all the time. You're going to hurt yourself. Sometimes I do, sometimes I don't. But our pride makes us think, no, I don't want to ask anybody for help. I don't want to burden them. That's the way we say it. But really the truth of the matter is we don't want to embarrass ourselves saying that we can't do it. But here's the thing. 
Mary knew she couldn't do it. She had no money to buy enough wine to continue the feast, the celebration of the wedding. She had no power to turn grapes or whatever into wine. So she turned to the one who could. You see, the truth of the matter is we can't fix ourselves. You can't. You can't fix yourself. No matter how many self-help books you read, no matter how many counselors you go to, no matter how many this or that you, you do, you can't fix yourself. But there is one who can. And when we ask for His help, it's readily available. But you know what? We're too prideful. We don't want to do that. We don't want to admit to ourselves or to anybody else that we can't do it ourselves. And many, many, many people have busted hell wide open because they were too prideful to admit that they needed Jesus. This morning, we're gathered together and we need Jesus. There's several accounts in the, in the New Testament scriptures and all, really all through the Bible of uh, people who were, who were calling out, asking for help. And the first one that I think of is blind Bartimaeus. See, Jesus and his disciples and a great multitude, it says, were coming out of Jericho and they were starting down the road and there beside the road was blind Bartimaeus. He was begging on the side of the road and he heard this big crowd coming. So he found out that it was Jesus coming down the road. He started crying out really loud, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And there were the, those in the crowd that was trying to get him to be quiet. You know, look, just hush and don't say anything. Sit there and be quiet. And he got louder. He was crying. I'm not going to get louder so y'all don't have to hold your ears. But he was crying out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. So Jesus stopped. And he says, somebody go get him and bring him over here. And they did. They got him up. And, and the scripture says that he flung off his, his outer clothing, his, his cloak, he, he got rid of anything that might get in his way of Jesus, of keeping him from Jesus. And you might even want to say that he discarded all of his earthly belongings because that's probably all he had if, if he was begging for, for money. His one thing that kept him warm at night or, or that he had was his cloak. He got rid of it so that he could go to Jesus. And he went to Jesus and Jesus asked him, said, what do you want me to do for you? And he says, teacher, Rabboni, or, or great one, I want to be able to see. And Jesus says, go your way, your faith has healed you. And immediately, his sight came to him. And the scripture says, he followed Jesus down the road. You know, he never went back for his cloak. The scripture didn't say anything about that. He was so happy to be with Jesus. Because Jesus was the help that he needed and Jesus met his need. He wanted to be with Jesus. There's another account. A leper in Matthew chapter 8. It says, Jesus, this leper came to Jesus worshiping him and said, said to him, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Now, 
A leper was someone who was, you know, had a skin disease, a skin cancer, if you want to look at it like that, and there was no earthly cure for that. Whenever you got leprosy, you were outcast in society, and eventually you were just going to die. So he cried out to Jesus, and he, looked, he was worshiping him. He says, if you are willing, you can make me clean. You know what Jesus said to him? He was crying out to Jesus. He told him, look, you're the only answer. You're the one who can do this. And Jesus says, I am willing. Be clean. And immediately, he was clean. Some people think, you know, I don't want to bother Jesus with all my stuff. But Jesus wants to be bothered with your stuff. He wants you to come to Him because that means we are dependent on Him and we are, whether we're prideful or not, whether we, whether we realize or not that we are dependent on Him, we are. So pride gets in our way, but this, this guy, he had come to the end of himself. He says, look, I'm going to die if I don't find the reason or the cure for what it is that I've got. And he says, Jesus, you can do it if you want to. And Jesus says, I want to. So many of us, if you're hard-headed like me, so many of us forget that Jesus not only wants to hear what our problems are, but he wants to meet every need that we have, especially our spiritual needs. And the greatest one is our salvation. We can't save ourselves. Jesus is the one that we need to ask for help from. Because only He can do it. We're just like a leper. We can't heal ourselves. Jesus can cleanse us if He wants to, and He wants to, so why don't we ask for it? There were ten lepers that came to Jesus. And, well, it, the scripture says they actually stood afar off and were crying out to him really loud, Lord Jesus, have mercy on us. And Jesus says, go show yourself to the temple, or to the priest in the temple. And while they were going, on the way, they were all healed. They cried out to Jesus, and Jesus met their need. You know, in Matthew chapter 7, this is what it says to us. The scripture, Jesus said this, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. And he who seeks, finds. And to him who knocks, it will be opened. The, that idea is repeated twice. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. You know, in, in another New Testament scripture, it says you, you have not because you ask not. And there's so many people that have not salvation because they have not asked for it. And yet, Jesus stands ready to take care of every problem that we have. He, he stands ready to forgive us of all of our sins when we commit our way to Him. When we commit ourselves to Him. When we realize that there's no other answer for us. Mary went to Jesus and requested his help. She told the servants, whatever he says to you, do it. 
And in verse 6 it says, Now there were set there six water pots of stone, according to the manner of purification of the Jews, containing 20 or 30 gallons apiece. Now the purification of the Jews, now this, is, this is something that I want you to kind of to, to get an idea of. These water pots were out there. Some, there's kind of a difference of opinion about how much water was in each one, but most likely it was in excess of 100 gallons, maybe as much as 180 gallons. And they were in these water pots. Now, these, this water was not for drinking. These, these water pots were not designed to hold drinking water. As a matter of fact, they were washing themselves with the water. They were probably scooping some out, pouring it on their hands. I don't know if they would hold their hands over the pot and pour water over their hands. Uh, it was also there so you could get some water out and wash your feet. And if you wanted to rinse a cup or rinse a dish, that's where you went. All of these things, all of these things took place with these water pots. It wasn't drinking water by any stretch of the imagination. But it was, ready, it was ready for those who wanted to go through the purification process. They would wash their hands. They would wash their feet. They would, everything that they needed to do was there. So this water was not good drinking water. And you see what Jesus did is he took the bad, the affected, infected, the, the unpure, and he made it the best. So what, what we get is the best from the bad. Jesus brought the best out of what was bad. Jesus said to them, fill the water pots with water, and they filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, draw some out and, and take it to the master of the feast. And they took it. And then the master of the feast, uh, when he had tasted the water that was made wine, he didn't know where it came from. The servants knew where it came from. The master of the feast called the bridegroom and said to him, Every man at the beginning sets out the good wine, and when the guests have drunk, then the inferior. You have kept the good wine till now. So Jesus took something that was less than common, that was less than pure, less than, than clean, it was something that would have been discarded after the feast was over, and he turned it into the best that it could possibly be. Imagine with me for a moment now. Jesus made the best wine there ever was. The best wine. You can't, you can't look at the creator of all of, of the world and everything that's in it and say, well, he would have made it just a cheap wine. Uh-uh. This just don't work. The, the best of the best is not going to make something that's just so-so. It's going to be the best. So when, he, uh, when Jesus told them to, to dip it out of there, now the folks that were filling this stuff with water, uh, imagine with me, I remember, you know, watering dogs as I was younger and stuff like that, you know, and in the water pot that we had for the dogs, it was usually some trash in the bottom. But when you poured new water in it, that trash got stirred up. Imagine pouring water, more water into these big old water pots, all the stuff that's in the bottom that washed off people's hands and different things like, there it is. And then, without any pause, Jesus says, now dip some out and take it to the master of the feast. 
imagine this, the servants' faces. What? Did you see what we saw? Okay, it's what he said to do. So they dip it out, and then they realize, hey, this ain't the water we put in there. This ain't that, that chunky soup that we stirred up. That was wrong. I'm sorry. So they take it to the master of the feast, and he takes a sip of it. Can you imagine his face? Now, he had had plenty of wine. Sure. His taste buds may not have been at their peak at that point, but he knew the best. And when he tasted it, he stopped. Hey, wait a minute. Somebody go find the groom. I've got something to tell him. I've got a question to ask. He says, now look, everybody, whenever they get started, they want to put their best stuff out so that, you know, everybody, after they drink a little bit, they, they don't care as much anymore so that then you can put out the cheap stuff and everybody's happy still. He says, you waited to last to give your best. You know, when Jesus gets involved in it, it's going to be the best. And yet we're so scared to ask for his help. Sometimes we get so preoccupied with what we do and what we've done and all, and all these other things that are going on, we forget that Jesus wants the very best. And only he can do that. So what we have to do is set ourselves ourself aside so that he can do what he wants to do in the midst of whatever it is that we're doing he wants us to know the best not just the okay not just the the so-so or the mundane he wants us to understand that he has got the best in store for us he wants to bring the best out of us because we are the bad the scripture plainly says that there are none righteous, no, not one. That we all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We are not good. Only He is. But He wants us to be the best. And He can provide, He can make us the best when we ask for His help and obey His word. Now, in Luke chapter 5, Jesus is talking about the traditions. He, somebody comes to him and says, why don't your disciples feed, uh, fast like everybody else? And Jesus tells them, well, you can't take a new piece of garment and patch an old garment with it because the new piece is going to shrink up and tear away and it's going to ruin both pieces. And then he says, you can't put new wine in an old wineskin. Because we know the new wine is going to go through processes. And it's going to expand. And if it's not in a new wineskin, it's going to burst and destroy not only the wine, but also the old wineskin. Jesus was talking to those who were asking him about following the traditions of men. And he says, you can't take what God is doing now and hold it back in the traditions of men. He was actually, I feel like he was talking about the new covenant versus the old covenant. He says, you can't put the new covenant in an old wineskin. 
You can't put the new covenant inside the old covenant and save any of it. Because the new covenant is grace. The old covenant was the law. The law was meant to show us our need for grace. And now when grace has come, it has fulfilled all of the law and we can be forgiven. And Jesus says, you can't take grace and put it in the law because it's going to mess the law up and grace. But he says, you take the law, the law shows you your need for grace. That's the old covenant. The new covenant is God loves you so much, He's willing to wipe your slate clean when you trust in His Son. That's grace. You don't deserve it, but you get it from God when you ask for His help and follow His Word. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, the Scripture says there that you are a new creation. Those who are in Christ, uh, verse 17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. You see, when you accept Christ as your Lord and Savior, you're no longer the water in that water pot. You are the wine that's drawn out and carried to the master of the feast. New creation. Brand new. Totally changed. Let me tell you about my new creation experience. I was at Ruth Baptist Church, and I was 11 or 12 years old, somewhere in that neighborhood, and I was standing there holding the back of the pew, white-knuckling for about three months. Every time the preacher gave an invitation, I dreaded it. I, 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 wasn't, I was like, if I can just get through this, I'll be all right. And then one day, I was sitting there on the edge of the pew looking out at him, and, and he looked at me, and I, my head was down. After I saw him, I put my head down, and I was thinking, Lord, I know you're talking to me. Every time he gave an invitation, I knew the Lord was talking to me. Well, one Sunday... I heard a noise on my right-hand side, and I looked up, and my sister was going down the aisle on the outside of the pews, and she was about to make the turn and go over to talk to the preacher, and I said, you know what? I ain't going to let her beat me. I knew the Lord was calling me for salvation also, and I said, if she can do it, I can do it. I was so scared. I didn't want to turn loose. I didn't want to let go, but I knew I needed to. I knew I had to, and I went down there, and at that altar, the I prayed a prayer with the preacher, and I gave my heart, I gave my life to the Lord then. And you know, when I prayed that prayer, I became that new glass of wine. I was no longer that dirty water in a water pot. I was a new creature, a new creation. The old man had passed away. The new man had come forth. You know, the funny thing about a grape is that it will never be wine unless it goes through the, the right processes. Now, somebody can take a grape and make something wonderful out of it, so they tell me. I don't like wine. But, they, but you can take a grape and, and go through the fermenting processes and make a really good drink out of it, so I'm told. But you can also mess it up. You can do it wrong, and it won't be good. It will be terrible. 
The grape has to go through the right processes in order to be changed into something good, the best. You know, that's also true with us. We have to go through the right processes in order to be pleasing unto God. That right process is what he's already told us we need to do. We need to trust in his son as Lord, as Savior. He is the son of God. He, he came so that he could forgive us of our sins. When we go through the processes that God has called us to do, Jesus said this, you must die daily, take up your cross, and follow me. See, that's the process. And unless we go through that process in obedience to him, then we're not that new wine. We're not the best. We have tried some other way, and what comes out is something incomplete at best. Terrible, horrible at the worst. First of all, we need to ask Jesus for our help and so that he can turn the bad into the best. If you're not the best this morning, you haven't been to the best. We know that we're not complete yet. We had not been glorified, but one day we will be. We've been justified in the Lord Jesus Christ, those who are in Christ. We are being sanctified. We are being made better, but one day he will glorify us in himself. The last thing that I want to talk to you about this morning, first of all, request help. Be the best from the bad as he changes you into that new creation. And then in the last, uh, in verse 11, it says, This beginning of signs Jesus did in Cana of Galilee and manifested or revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. Now before this, his disciples had heard about him being the Messiah. They had listened to his preaching and teaching, but they had not seen a manifestation of his glory, his divinity. Jesus' divinity, divinity came into play here. They saw what happened. They were not a part of the process, but they saw it. you got to know they probably tried the wine after it was over and, probably, and most likely agreed with everybody else, this is the best. But they saw what Jesus did. They had heard, but now they saw. And the scripture says they believed in him. One of them had already proclaimed that he was the Messiah. And Jesus told him, you're going to see greater things than that. And now they watched dirty water be turned into the best wine. And they believed. There's another account. Jesus was coming down off the mountain, the Mount of Transfiguration, and, and there was a, a, a young boy there who was um, demon-possessed, and his father looked at Jesus and said, Jesus, if you can do anything, please help us. And Jesus says, if you can believe, all things are possible for him who believes. And he looked at Jesus and he said, I believe, help my unbelief. And you know what Jesus did? He healed his son. Do you think that helped his unbelief? Probably, a little bit. No, completely, because he saw it. He experienced it. He knew then what Jesus had done. That's a complete belief, a fulfilled belief. 
So the disciples saw Jesus turn, in, turn the water into wine, and they believed. They got a glimpse of his glory. They saw who he was, what he could do. And later on throughout his ministry, they saw many other miracles that only he could do. So they believed. This morning, there's a lot going on in our world. There's a lot going on in every life. But let me ask you this. Do you believe? Do you believe that Jesus is the Son of God? Do you believe that He gave His life for you so that you could have everlasting life and forgiveness of sins? Do you believe? And if you do, are you behaving the way that He wants you to? But if you haven't believed, do you want to see a changed person? What is it going to take for you to trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. All you have to do is ask for His help. And He will give you the proof. He will change you. He will make you a new creature. A new creation. So this morning, if you're here and you don't know Him, listen, He wants you to have eternal life. This is what it says in 1 John chapter 5, verses 11 and 12. And this is the testimony that God has given us eternal life. And this life is in His Son. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. So do you have Him? Do you believe Him? This morning, if you're not sure, if you don't know, come forward and say, I need to know Jesus. You know what he's going to do? He's going to take you. He's going to cleanse you. He's going to make you like that new, best glass of wine. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Lord, this morning, we've gathered here to worship and to get a glimpse of your glory. We thank you for your word. We know every word is true. We thank you for the revelation of Jesus to his disciples this morning, showing that he is the King of glory, the master of all things. And this morning, Father, we want to submit ourselves to you also. So, Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your spirit. As we enter into our invitation time, Father, for those that you've spoken to, give them the courage to come forward. I know it's a scary thing. It's not easy. But, Father, with you, we can do all things through Christ Jesus who strengthens us. So, Lord, I'm asking for you to accomplish your purpose, your will, in our invitation time. In Jesus' name, amen. Please stand for a hymn of invitation.